What's up, everybody? Welcome to the EDM podcast. Today, you are joined by me, first of all, your host, Aiden Russell, aka Artsy. And today we've got a very special guest in the studio. We've got Vila, aka Darude, who I'm sure if you're listening, you'll be very, very familiar with uh, his iconic track, Sandstorm. Uh, but beyond Sandstorm, obviously, uh, you've got a career spending three decades and you've got a consistently evolving, I would probably describe progressive and uplifting take on house and, tech, uh, house and trance, sorry. But it obviously spans a bit out from that as well. And you've had releases on labels like like major labels like Warner, as well as others like Amada and Black Hole Recordings. So that's a little extensive, short but short overview. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, uh, you talking about three decades, that makes me... Uh, you, you're you're dating me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, in a in a uh, encouraging, you know, you've got a lot of production wisdom, so uh, which we're going to obviously dig into today, and I'm very excited. <laughs> cool, great, man. So, what well, we'll start off with a few, I guess, more background kind of questions before we dive into the production stuff. Like mm-hmm. I said in the intro, you're obviously known for your your hit track Sandstorm, which you know quite a few years now obviously it was released back in 1999 i think it was originally yeah Is that in finland yeah and 2000 sort of elsewhere nice yeah back when back when labels released it in certain territories and then yeah kind yeah. of went from there and obviously it kind of blew up i guess maybe 15 or so years later would you say after that and then it kind of mm. became quite popular again and and so it's kind of uh been a whole journey for you i can imagine but Obviously, I'm sure there's plenty of interviews people listening can go check out where you've talked extensively about Sandstorm. But I kind of just want to guess, let you give a bit of an overview as to what's been happening since then, and what have you, what's it been like the last ten or so years for your career in music production and hmm. DJing and stuff. Well, yeah, I started making music in like '95, '96, just because I realized a couple of my friends showed me that I could make music. So I wasn't a live player of any instrument. And um, mm. so Sandstorm came about initially some stuff like in 97 and then 99, I d- dug out that project and worked on that. And it became what it became first, my version. And then I got it finished with then and uh, still a master producer here in Finland called J16, Jaakko Salovara. And uh, it just blew up all of a sudden. Uh, we didn't have any idea, especially I didn't have any idea. I wasn't a DJ. I wasn't considering myself a pro mu- musician or producer at that time, just a hobbyist noisemaker kind of. And so then all of a sudden, the next two years I was touring, like literally through Jaakko. Uh, I found a booking agent in Finland and there was... Re- uh, demand requests in Finland first and then shortly after Scandinavia, Nordics, Germany, whatever. And then later on, Australia, USA, everywhere else in Europe and whatnot. And um, like in 2002, I kind of woke up one morning home and oh, I have a three month break. Now I'm going to start working on my second album. Nice. And, uh, and uh kind of like at that time literally kind of almost like two years went by touring 
me being like fresh out of nowhere near electronic dance music scene or DJ scene, just all of a sudden tossed into uh, performing and the promotions and traveling, everything that goes with it. So it was quite a blur and I just did stuff. I didn't kind of have time or maybe capacity to stop and think about what was going on. And then in 2002, we decided I'll take a break. And um, I was thinking the Sunday I came home from the last gig, you know, Monday, I'm going to hit the studio and work on my new stuff. And it took me four months or so until I actually got anything done in the studio. Like I, I sat there here and there, did some stuff, but just like, okay, yeah. It's not that I didn't want to, it's not that I didn't like it, but just, I was so empty on everything. And the weird thing is that I didn't really, like, I didn't feel like I was burned out. I didn't feel like I didn't want to do anything like the touring and whatnot, but it was just so mentally and even physically full on that uh, I, I was definitely tired. Mm. Uh, and, and so I took a good good bit of time, but then we started working on the second album, 2002. It was released 2003, still with JS16. Released two singles of it, uh, Music and uh, Next to You, and then um, toured again extensively everywhere. And then 2006, I started working on an album, still brought demos to my, my buddy, JS16, but then... Uh, at that time, his way of making music was a, it, it's a little more hands-on that I wanted to, and it was my third album, so I needed to have more control. And um, uh, and we just didn't see eye to eye on where the track should go. And the demos I brought in would be taken into way too small pieces, uh, in my opinion, and then would, would have started developing from there as I thought that I'm have i have almost like a full track and then we'll just final produce it together and whatnot right and so as buddies we still parted ways it was under his record company and he sold the the contract to another finnish label called helsinki music company and uh uh, then i I produced a third album labeled this myself and then um again afterwards toured there were uh three singles actually four singles there was next um Tell Me My Game, and then Stars, which is a cover or reiteration of a Finnish song. And then kind of its sister song, I Ran, a cover by the Flock of Seagulls. And uh, actually in Finland and in Nordics, the the album was released with the track called Stars as the third single. But in the US, it was released as uh, the same album, but with uh, I Ran as the third single, because that's more known track, um, The Flock of Seagulls, hit from early 80s. Nice. And then um, toured extensively again after that, uh, moved to US around 2008, 2007, eight, family reasons. And um, then we stayed there for about six years. And then in 2014, 13, 14, I started working on my fourth album called Moments, and it was released in 15 and released a couple of singles in the album, toured extensively. Uh, and um, now I'm here. Uh, since then, I've released a couple of tracks on Armada, Black Hole, Born Recordings in Australia. Awesome. I don't know if I can remember anything else right now. And I still feel like I'm making the same kind of electronic dance music I made in the beginning. I compose a little more 
it's a little more purposeful maybe sure uh, in a sense and i work now more with vocals and wider variety of people around me and with me as well Mm. Uh, as in the beginning it was quite trial and error like almost 100 percent of it and a lot of programming drums a lot of arpeggiator programming and trying out and today a little less of that but i still like that stuff and i still incorporate it but like i said it's my, my production and writing, which kind of all, and engineering, which kind of all is one bundle um, often. Mm. Um, but it, it, it's a little more purposeful. And I know these, these things that I'm stronger at and then less strong. And then also, and then I'll ask help if I don't know how to do something or I know that I'm not top notch at it. And then also, um, Today, I know to wear different hats in different phases of the thing. Like back in the yes. day, I would just try and do everything at the same time. But now I do. I have writing sessions, writing days or moments, and then I produce. And then I I produce and mix at the same time. But then I do a final mixing round where I basically yeah. have committed to whatever is on the track. And then I don't mess up with the arrangement or production stuff anymore. Totally. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. I think a lot of producers reach this point, and I'm sure a lot of them are listening to this this interview, like where, you know, you learn a few production skills and then I think you kind of realize that really what's important at the end of the day is like the song itself and like learning those songwriting skills and, you know, whether it's working with vocalists or being more intentional and deliberate with melodies and chord progressions and stuff like that. I think is that, is that kind of what you mean when you say it was a bit more purposeful? Like, is that the kind of stuff that you began to focus yeah, on? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, I would, in the beginning, I would grab one sound and start messing with it. And then that would take me all the way to the next step, to the next step. And then it would be like Lego building blocks or, you know, the four bar or eight bar thing. And then I would, build the song from there, like just based on vibes, like what comes next. It's not that I don't do that today as well. I try to keep it organic here and there, but there's more of this, like then I just found melodies and I came across things, melodies and other stuff. Now I have, I have like my phone full of stuff that I hear when I'm not in a studio. Like I hear an ambiance in the background. I record that and I hear a chord progression or something in it. So I try to catch the audio and the moment and the melody. Then I hum it. And there's, there's more of these building blocks that I come across without noodling. Uh, yes. And then also the production is more like there's a routine and there's these certain things that I tend to do that are no, I, I don't want to say calculative, but more mechanic. And just, you know, when you do them, you get to the next phase better or quicker without the trial and error stuff. Or yes. so that's what I mean, where it's more. And then also like the composing thing is, I'm a little better with my keys these days, so mm. I don't have to necessarily tr- spend half an hour trying to find a simple melody that earlier would have taken me a lot of time, either playing one fingered or or just moving notes with my mouse and trying out like press, play, mm, no, stop, play, move, move, you know. Yeah. So, 
so in that way, it's maybe a little more purposeful or, or um, I don't know if that's the right word, but something. no, that's very interesting. Yeah, I think it's definitely an important skill to to focus on as a producer. Mm-hmm. M- moving on back, like more, in, I guess, into the production side of things. So mm-hmm. it, I was doing a bit of research before the episode, and I think you started out on an early version of Cubase. Is that correct? <laughs> Well, yes and no. Uh, I didn't start on Cubase, but I started actually my first ever, uh, well, actually not a DAW, but sequencer then was, uh, I tried Cakewalk yeah. uh, in 90, must be 97 probably. But even before that, and then alongside that, I used a tracker program called Fast Tracker 2. Yeah. Uh, and like uh, certain original bits of Sandstorm, for instance, are done in Fast Tracker 2, then rendered out. Then later on, I put them in Cubase, for instance. Around 98, 99, I started using Cubase VST, the first version of the VST. Yeah. And uh, basically, I was using SoundForge and fast tracker and then a couple of standalone like hammerhead drum machine i don't know if you know of it or if you remember it but Vaguely, it was i yeah. think six part drum machine that had a simple sequencer 909 kind of style sequencer thing on it so i would render these loops out of any and every similar like standalone thing and like for instance the fast tracker 2 that was still running on dos not not oh, even wow. windows but so you'd render stuff out there, thinking parts, thinking drum loops and, and layers, and then I'd go take them in Cubase and started uh, arranging and mixing there. And at the time, around that, that time, I had one synth, which is still here, wow. my trusty Core TR rack. Uh, nice. And uh, that was one of those layers that I would use. Uh, you could use it either in um, like single sound mode uh, or multi-mode. Or sequencer mode, and it went, when you had it in sequencer mode, it was a sixteen-part part multi-timbral. Nice. But then it sounded quite not so lush, and it was a little poor sounding because you would have to uh, divide the effects that you'd have between, or decide which one would be dry and which one you'd have a little bit of reverb on it. Or you could use sends, but it was very limited like that. So often. I would actually compose and produce stuff with the 16 part thing. Then when I'd had my MIDI down and it would be kind of like a little, you know, small sounding or whatever, then I would go and program all those sounds, but with their insert and master effects in a single mode. And then I'd, you know, tweak the sounds, how I wanted them more reverb, more this and more that. And then I'd uh, bounce out or record those as layers to Cubase and would mix them like that. Wow. But yeah, so, so you... Cubase was definitely, Cakewalk wasn't a DAW initially, when the first version yeah. I tried it, and then I think it had eight, it, around that time it became actually a digital audio workstation, so it got like eight tracks of audio. Wow. So that was my first audio editing experience really, and then um, shortly after I went to Cubase, and a couple of first years, uh, up till 2002 when we started producing my second album my uh, my producer j16 then changed from an atari sd based 
more like the traditional electronic dance music system to an Apple-based system yeah. and Logic. So I started working in Logic with him at that point. So it was just easier. And uh, we both kind of, when we produced my second album, we both kind of learned Logic doing that. So I've wow. been on Logic since. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, do you much prefer being on Logic now? Because obviously technology's evolved so much since then and it's a lot more flexible. Do, do you feel like you mm -hmm. missed any of the older workflows? I mean, obviously you still have some of those since, but do you feel like there's any advantages to having? Because I think everyone obviously knows modern doors are better in a lot of ways. Uh -huh. They're faster and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm yeah. curious. Uh, yeah, I actually know exactly exactly what you mean and it applies to my case but not so much me and i'll explain j16 had two asr 10 samplers he had a nordly 2 that i have here he had jp8080 roland that i have here as well and then uh, he had a real 909 and he was a wizard with the uh, asr 10 samplers and the, what those had was couple of dials and a fader uh, that you could use to do various things, but mainly, you know, finding sample starts and ends and whatnot. Yeah. So when we had to slice up a loop, for instance, he would throw in a drum loop, then he would just slice it up. And it's basically only hearing you just find starting point of the sample, tweak the sample start, and that's your slice. And that's how it just worked. I actually never worked like that. Like I had a couple of hardware samplers, I, well, uh, particularly um, EMU S ESI 4000, I think, with the turbo kit, We're whopping, I don't know, maybe 16 megs of RAM, or whatever it was, just something ridiculous. But I never liked hardware sampler. That one was really hard for me to wrap my head around. And I yeah. basically used the EMU CDs that came with it and were just directly, you know, pre-made instruments uh, sampling was difficult to grasp for me then but so then logic came and logic's exs24 and i noticed that yako who was very much into the traditional way of sampling so he would have vinyl he would have cds he would have sample packs and back then sample packs were actually just audio on cds not even files but audio wow. so he would routinely throughout all the sessions sample stuff in to the uh, asr samplers but when he went to the logic workflow he still for the longest time first of all used the asr 10s and i didn't understand it because exs24 on the big screen was so much more convenient in my opinion yeah but but it was his workflow of sampling stuff in yeah. And the immediacy of that thing, like having whatever you sample, it's right on the middle C, whatever you do, it's right there. And, or you, you know, obviously spread it on a keyboard and make a, you know, playable instrument out of it. But so just a couple of years ago, whatever logic version it was, they actually brought back direct sampling to the sampler. And it's an interesting thing because it's an interesting thing because obviously you, all these years since then, you could have recorded something on a track in logic then edit it there and drop it in sampler yeah but it is not as immediate because you see it as a track recording first and then you need to go in and even when the the um, visual editing is so much more accurate and in a way easier 
But some, somebody like Yako, for instance, there's the muscle memory with the, the hardware sampling is such a big thing of the workflow. So, so yeah. he did not kind of get it. But don't get me wrong, he's a master producer and, and samplist and, and editor and whatnot, so he can do it. But just the workflow was kind of disrupted. And it's interesting, I haven't spoken to him in a while now, but it would be interesting to know if he's actually gone back to sampling now straight to uh, the sampler in logic because that is now possible totally yeah it's very interesting like th there's definitely pros and cons to both you know the hardware and software thing yeah I i'm assuming yeah like predominantly now i've i've watched through a few of your um production breakdowns and stuff on your youtube channel which uh, are amazing by the way really uh if you guys are listening and haven't checked those out go check out the darude youtube channel for some juicy tips but um I guess, like, what's your, to contrast what we were just talking about, what's your favorite part now about, like, working in a modern DAW and, like, like yeah, what what's just, you know, your standard kind of, like, workflow with using mm -hmm. Logic? So I've been in the box literally almost all my life, like, all, all my production life, uh, because I started with the, with the Fast Tracker, which was, like, very rudimentary, sampler daw-ish thing a lot of people if they see it today if they would see it first time today would be baffled yeah it, it was very like the and then the what do you call the number system like the is it the like he he the hexadecim hexadecim yeah, yeah. Hexadecim. like that i mean it it when you get it and it's you know eights or sixteens and whatnot it is kind of makes sense and it's you know div divided into fours and whatnot but it took me a little while back then to figure it out but anyway so th i did have uh the cork trinity rack i've got had triton couple of those triton rack and, and a keyboard i don't know if you can see in the background there's on yeah. top of that shelf there's oh yep yeah. and i had cork karma I've been, uh, I like that as well, but it has the same engine as the Triton has. Okay. Like yeah. I said, uh, Nordrack 2, that actually is a quite a recent buy. I found that second or third or 10th hand somewhere. Nice. <laughs> and then the JP8080 Roland, that's the original trans machine that we used a lot. Yeah. Both of those we used a lot on my first album, second one as well. Uh, and then I have MS2000 under there as well. Oh yeah, awesome. And the, those uh, so i'm kind of like a core guy i don't know why yeah js yako had a roland 2080 the jv uh with you know that's kind of the classics multi-genre multi-sound everything's in it machine from where we use certain bass sounds and for instance little tidbit we never really used the real 909 snare he had a real 909 but we used a snare from the jv 2080 because it just wow. sounds better for some reason it sounds like snappier the, tw the 12 bit kind of crushing is that kind of adds a bit of, is that what it does to it i don't know yeah i i don't know maybe but you know uh if you take a real 909 the kick usually is good always you can just you know tweak that but some often the snares for instance are weak you need to process mm -hmm. you need to exp you know take them out on um on their own and then put them through compression and eq to make them sound yeah. good for instance i and always so, clip my i always clip mine a bit just to give it that crunch and stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah so so we just found that uh 
the snare just we couldn't find the the right tone the right snap whatever yeah. and uh it's just funny that we had a real 909 there and then we used the set the, the one that roland sampled themselves to yeah. or, or in in the jv box but so i was in the box for the longest time as soon as i could because i found it cumbersome to record my triton for instance track by track by track uh, yeah. and then traveling and working was cumbersome because early 2000s yeah you had exs24 at some point and then you had the es1 and esm and whatnot the the logic's own stock since but they were not that much at that point yet and then the moment nexus came out that kind of replaced mm. my uh triton as the multi genre multi sound box yeah and a couple of others like vanguard was kind of mm. it, it it sounded kind of metallic and crappy but it still was replacing a virus that i had back in the day and also sort of the nordrack and the the, the jp8080 so i like the convenience of in the box so much i like the re total recall of everything you can go back versions and this and that and then I can just take my laptop and work with that everywhere. So, mm. so that's, but now the last couple of years, I've actually gone back to, I've made myself go back to sort of hardware workflow as well, because I like the commitment aspect of it. Yes. I, I like the, the idea of forcing myself at some point to think like, okay, now I'm going to make it audio. And even though I can save the media, I can save every setting, whatever, but it just still makes me think differently about now I have the audio here. And uh, the only thing that makes that then a little more, you know, inconvenient is that every time I finish a project, then I know that tomorrow, next week, I need to go uh, to, or not finish, but finish working on a project that time. I'm, I need to go on the road and I want to work on it. So then I need to do a round of bouncing of all yeah. the audio that i need um but it's not usually that much maybe the maybe the nord lead maybe the JV, jp and then on his side i can i don't know if these keys here are uh it's a moog sub 37 amazing yeah and that's um and uh and that's that's been in good use as well here and uh hold on this might you might not see i have a you know synth pro by IK Multimedia. Yes, yes, yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an amazing little analog synth, by the way. So it's a it's paraphonic analog one, and um, there's a there's a desktop version that I have, and then there's a keys version, exactly the same engine, exactly same everything, but this has these like capacitive play uh, or toy toy uh, keys, which you can play, but it's not as you know it's not the same as keys but so it's analog but it has digital effects which makes it quite interesting and the, the delays are cool and there's all kinds of modulation and whatnot but so yeah. what's now in common with all of these synths is and why i brought them back to my workflow as you know outboard gear is that the moog has an amazing plugin that is both librarian and also works with logic so you can automate everything on the front panel so 
that's just incredibly amazing. You know, analog sound with all the fatness and all the you know quirks that it might have. The filter is amazing, but it has a big knob that I can turn. The tactileness of that, but then I can save everything on the laptop or on uh, in in Logic by the plugin. Like that's that's been mind-blowingly amazing for me. And yeah. now there's at least this company that I know. It's actually a Finnish c- company called Mystery Islands, or now they changed uh, to Aura. Okay, that does plug plugins for the Nordrack, uh, the JP. MS2000 as well. And then there's like a lot of other plugins that they've done the same thing. So they have a digital plugin that looks like the the actual synth and acts mm. the same as basically what the Moog plugin does. So oh, awesome. it connects it MIDI-wise, it connects it audio-wise. You know, you select the f- correct inputs and outputs, and then you can uh, tweak it on screen and automate everything and it also acts as a librarian so wow so that makes that kind of stuff so much easier patches are saved within logic yeah and and all the settings and so so that's why i now have kind of fallen back in love with outboard gear as well nice that's good kind of like the virus right how you can do the similar thing with saving the presets. yes yes what that what not yeah that's awesome and i think you touched on something really good there as well like for producers listening like if you want to commit to something just bounce to audio i think that's like a great takeaway here because it kind of just forces you to you know not get too caught up in the details and all that kind of thing so yeah Yeah. it's a very good call for for me, I'm um, I'm at least as much a nerd as I'm a musician or yeah. <laughs> like tink, tinker, tweaker, trier, outer. And the thing about that is that I have to uh, remind and almost like force myself to snap out of it. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and and like get to it, meaning to it being sort of actual productive work if you will and and then i'm better at it these days because i've uh, i've sort of made myself do these days where in the morning i said today i'm not going to produce today's mess around with samples day or go through presets day yeah and when i do that i always almost always find something that i like Yes. I make an initial melody bit, but then I I have to stop myself. So what obviously is great in Logic, any DAW these days they have, you can save um like that you can save the whole patch if you made a multi-layer thing or that you can obviously what I do is I'm I'm paranoid. I actually save the MIDI separately. I name it exactly what I name my patches. Yeah. If it's multi-layered or or if it's just a synth, I name it with the synth name and the patch name. And I save it elsewhere, but then Logic has this these Apple loops or whatever that you're calling. You can basically drag and drop a, a MIDI region to the loops, and it creates a takes the patch and creates something that you can just next time drag and drop from there to another arrangement, and it pulls up the same patch everything and the same midi and then it works exactly like you did it earlier so similarly in ableton you can do like the full 
basically you can save clips and yes. with every every setting there is to it so it's kind of that that kind of thing and also logic has this uh, channel strip saving separately and, and yeah. the, the patch saving so you can save like different layers of stuff that you do so when i'm yeah. doing my noodling days i come across a good thing i have to stop myself because i wouldn't mess with that endlessly yeah got it got a good enough idea good enough vibe save it next preset next sample whatever and mess around with it uh and uh just so decidedly so won't write or produce that day but yeah. so then you end up with five or 50 pieces of ammo for your further you know next productions or yeah. the track that you're working on now but refuse to work on it because you have a noodling day yes so that that's helped me a lot because then when i work on some production i want to go like off to some tangent but then i kind of remind myself but hey yesterday was a tangent day all day so now yeah you know working on this and um the tangents are easy to go off on (laughs) yeah and those kind of things are like my internal things that kind of try to steer me being focused on the task at hand and definitely when i'm in a writing phase i'm way more lax i don't care and i do a take and a take and a take and a take like so many takes and i mess up my playing but i just do takes and my arrangement is horrible messy yeah, and when I look at it in the next session, it feels bad. I I hate a messy arrangement. Sure. But so, but so when I'm in that creative mode, I let myself be messy. And then so on the production side, I name everything, I color code everything, I do neat arrangements. Sometimes I almost want to change some sounds if the arrangement looks messy. Yeah, <laughs> just so I can make it look clean. I'm I'm yeah. a little. Uh, OCD or particular about that and then when I get the production done I need to at some point find my now it's good enough or now it's done enough or whatever and then I do uh, I do stem bounces uh, you know kick is always alone but then like loop drums I yep. group together uh, then single hit drums like certain hi-hats and whatnot are together if there's percussion, tone percussion, you know, that adds up, that that's one. And then there's one or two layers of bass, one or two layers of synths. Uh, effects are on one. And then depends on what the vocal's like. I might have just one vocal uh, or stem, or I might separate the lead and the, the background vocals. And so my stem mixing project is the one where I'm, totally never not producing anymore then it's just yeah. like getting the final mix right i'm working usually between well four but usually more six to six to ten stems maybe nice yeah. uh, st- stereo stems and then um, at that point i'll still go through them i might eq and compress e- stems i might clip you know, some drums or something like that. Yeah. And then I'll do a master. And then on that thing, uh, uh, that, that project, I also have like a master comparison. Yeah. Uh, couple of buses where I can easily go just like alt solo, either my 
whatever I'm mastering or mixing mastering and then I'll solo a commercial equivalent or one of my old yeah. old tracks or whatnot. But so I, the wearing different hats has that's been a big thing for me and it, it took me a long time maybe like the last 10 years I've been doing that. Yeah, wow. It's like very specifically until that it was just like do everything on one go and yeah. It it, it was I think well needed to be done i i i'm not a i don't think i'm a very spiritual or whatever kind of guy but i do think that there's a there's this there's this development or arc that you need to go through to get somewhere and then once you're there like ah okay well i wish maybe that would have been a little shorter so i would have gotten here earlier but there there was a reason why you did it that way or it took that much time yeah totally yeah i definitely think uh that, that there's benefit especially with the like final mix yeah just bouncing it out into stems and uh and allowing yourself to just not yeah again it's the whole like the whole commitment thing just like not being able to i mean you can go back still obviously it's a separate project and whatnot but yeah i've, I've definitely always been one to mix in my projects themselves but i've been lately trying to bounce out stems and it just yeah it, it's kind of nice to decide this is it moves you towards that finished result right like it moves you towards that thing closer so it nah, does it's good i was gonna ask though back oh sorry are you gonna say something else no no i was gonna say like one more thing that i do with my that my stem projects like so most of the time i make my dance music still thinking about the extended mix so yes. i i start i might not start with beats i might have a melodic idea first but i put that the melodic idea is going to be at I don't know, two and a half or three minutes mark so that there's room for the intro. Yeah. So anyway, in my main project, I usually make the four to seven minute track, the extended mix first. I bounce the stems out of those. And then when I go to the stem mix project, I cut the radio or Spotify or whatever you want to call it, edit there sure. uh, off, the, off the main things because now I have you know the six to eight stems and i can there's some leeway you can kind of play uh you could select sweeps from the effects that actually fit you can edit those together and yeah usually there's from the extended mix there's like that has usually maybe like one more round of chorus or drop there's maybe longer break down and build up and so it's but i can um I I don't know. Hate is a strong word, but I hate doing radio edits of my extended ones. Sure, those are like crafted with the vibe, and it yeah. progresses this and that. And all of a sudden, you need to kind of just like butcher it. But <laughs> uh, here's a tip for everyone who hates it, like I do. Since I made uh, several years ago, since I made it this this butchering contest to my for myself like how short can i make it like that that's a challenge so now it's sort of like it's not a positive thing but that's a now i'm not thinking like oh i'm i'm ruining it but now i'm thinking like how bad can i butcher it sure and and so now when i get to you know i have a seven minute track and i get to 245 it's quite butchered but then I've started thinking that there's a skill to that as well. Yeah. So now 
the shorter I can, not, not the shorter, of course, I could just cut it to like 30 seconds, but, but the shorter I can make it with some kind of flow and some kind of, you know, preserving the actual track still, the, the yeah. better it is. And then the better I feel about myself. So if you yeah. look at it from the other angle, like, oh, it's sad, I need to cut it. No, but let me butcher it. Let me see how, how badly I can do that. So it's <laughs> That's good. A great, it's a great, great outlook. Let's see how bad I can butcher my own track. That's so yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you ever um, tried like making the, uh, I guess, radio or Spotify version from scratch? Or is it always from that extended mix? Uh, yeah, I have absolutely, and uh, a lot of times today when you work with um, uh, you know singer songwriters or writing teams and whatnot, that's the thing you get. Basically, yeah. you get the uh, uh, they automatically write you know some pads, some piano things, intro, a little bit of drums coming in. So you have your verse, you have your pre, you have your chorus. Then you just it's very formulaic when you work with as like a modern writer mm. and there's nothing wrong with it the only thing that it does for me is that if i'm at the session myself and if i'm if i'm contributing to that i do get married with the with the formula yeah. and then we're directly making a radio edit yes nothing wrong with that but as a dance music producer who wants to play my stuff at clubs, it's yep. very easily afterwards when I make the extended one, it's just kind of like a minute on each end. Yeah. And you somehow just like try to make it sort of smooth that it's just there. And then you have a four minute extended and it feels weird. It doesn't feel great to play it out maybe, or something like that. Cause there's, sure. there's a mental aspect to, to being a club producer first and whatnot so then often i have to kind of let the track sit a little bit take a step back and then think of it a little bit more like a remix kind of thing mm. where the product the like the writing the melodies chords everything is in the back of my head but i'll actually have <laughs> forget the 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 session that it was made in and then I actually produce beats and bass lines and, you know, the intro first. And then I imagine how I would bring a vocal into that so that it doesn't start from the thinking of the edit. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough balance or tough art, but there is definitely merit if you can do it correctly. So, uh, And it seems yeah. like you're doing a good job. So, I, I, you know, it, kudos to you. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know about that. I hope so. But the, the <laughs> thing is that what, 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 what dictates, well, so like I said, there's nothing wrong about the edits and then there's nothing wrong about adding the intro bits, you know, for DJs to mix in. Yeah. But as a DJ myself, when I do play those tracks that are the four, four and a half minute things with a minute of intro, sometimes 30 seconds of intro beats, it's mm. so quick to mix in and it's so abrupt to go straight to the where the radio edit starts yeah it's like you have a little bit of beat going and it, uh, and it stops there and then there's the commercial verse and chorus starts it doesn't build like a club track for me should build so that's that's where the difficulty comes because you get used to the edit and you get used to the commercial formula 
and you know you you were part of the project the writing so it's a good record that's the, yeah. that's not the point but it feels wrong in a, in a club context and it, it's hard to make it then a club track as is but i've found out that if you think about it not as your track but as a, you're making a remix then it becomes all of a sudden maybe quite a lot easier yes that makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. no that's an interesting deep dive into how you do that because yeah like for example i try i've just tried making it all one track but there's yeah definitely merit to making the extended version then tapering it down i've seen a lot of people do it that way um so and i appreciate you diving into that hmm. but that's also like that is that's very much so um, i guess maybe a traditional like more like an old school way of making music sure and i think it stems from people like me who were not necessarily seasoned live musicians yeah but they were more programmers we used drum machines or we used drum machine like programming to yeah. create the beats and then we're just like continuously listening to that loop and what adds next what to, what comes next and that automatically kind of creates the minute two minute uh intro and it's a different mindset you're listening to way before vocals way before melodies and chords even you're listening to like what's in the in the rhythms and in the groove yeah and um then you then you bring the melodic elements like i there's a there are many tracks that i've started so that the baseline has been just a rhythm and a monotonous note yeah. And then later on, I start humming, whistling, or like, I remember, hey, last week I did this chord progression. Can I transpose so that the first chord is the root note of whatever bass line I have now? And then yeah. when I do, then I start transposing the, the bass line so that it corresponds with the, key, the, the chords that I did earlier. So it's kind of like just this trial and error mix and match. And, and like I said, now if you do the radio edit session the so so to say hit formula song session then that determines everything but then you kind of have to work backwards to get to the club dj producer feeling yeah. of it yeah that makes a lot of sense no nah, it's good man good good information for those producers who are listening i wanted to ask while we're on the topic as well like of what plugins have to ask this question because it's just so interesting mm -hmm. what plugins are you a big of fan of these days so it, it wouldn't be me if i didn't give you a, a longer answer because <laughs> one of my best logic one of my best logic features and i know other doors have this as well and i highly recommend checking into this kind of thinking is the plugin manager yeah the plugin manager in logic has a, a possibility to create folders uh, so when you go to see, find a plugin for your instrument or audio uh, effect, you actually, you can sort them so that your favorite synths, favorite EQs, favorite whatever are on top, and yeah. then the rest of them are down there. Uh, do yourself a favor. For me, synths are not an issue. Uh, I have a lot of synths and I've, maybe half of them are like my secondary synth folder, but I have a lot of synths. But, but EQs, compressors, for instance, are something that I have a lot of them too, but in my favorite folder, I have Logic's own EQ. I use that on almost every track as yeah. basic stuff. That, that's great for that. Then I have uh, Pro-Q3 uh, Pro yeah, awesome. from FabFilter. 
And uh, that's my second one. And that's basically it. Uh, then I do have, like, there's a couple of Waves vintage ones or, like, yeah, uh, clone ones. And then Logic has his own, like, vintage models as well. If yeah. I need, like, sort of traditional sound, like roundness or whatever, then I use those. But literally two EQs because... Uh, in my opinion, you can have 18 of them and you can select between them and spend time on that. But I think you get very similar results with the regular EQ tasks or regular EQ tasks. You do little notches, you do little bumps, whatever. And almost all digital EQs sound about the same. And then when we get to the air department or like LA something compressor, compressors and, and EQs that are of the vintage yes sort of color then that's different because then you're looking for color and stuff and not the um you know finding ring and frequencies and whatnot yeah totally. and the same with with comp compressors i have like um logic's own uh i think i have a, an isotope one yeah and a, and a waves one and just i don't want to there's tons that I have. Like I have all the Waves plugins. I'm I'm a Waves artist, and they have incredible plugins. But I think I just had to reinstall, and the least amount that I now have because I I took out some older versions. I think I had 608 Waves plugins. Wow, yeah, so got a lot. That spans everything. But I mean, there's so many of you know the compression and EQ side, for instance. Yeah. So I've just cut out the the excess. And then, um, so I, I like a lot of wave stuff. I've used waves a long time. I still use like L2 limiter in tracks okay. on my tracks yeah. in my projects. If I, it's just a simple works. That's it. Yeah. That's what limiter does for me. I do a lot of like reverb swells or drownouts yeah. with waves. Hold on, it R verb. Yeah, just because it has a dry wet control, I like not a separate wet and dry, but dry wet. Yes. I use that. Nice. And so, you know, whatever towards a buildup, I'll I'll drown something out. I might, you know, add a longer release time on a synth, and then I on top of that, I add reverb on it, make it wetter, 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 and and that works really well for me, uh, awesome. just for some reason. And then I use a good bit of isotope stuff these days as well. Yeah. And uh, their, um, their ozone, obviously, has like a mastering suite, but there's the, the ozone imager on its own on separate tracks. It's great, yeah. That's one. Yeah, one of my go-tos. Their vocal synth is pretty damn nice. Mm. And then as a comparison, uh, Waves is Ovox, Oh, yeah. They're not like the same, but I, I think of them as very similar. I love them both. They have different sort of things that you uh, I tend to do with them. But but I for instance, I made a Gabriel and Dresden remix that was instrumental initially the track, but I made vocals on it. It's just I don't know. It was kind of a piss take, and then they released yeah. it or Anjuna Beats did, uh, and th those vocals are mine through. Melodyne and Autotune and Waves, uh, the Ovox and Isotope Vocal Synth, and then also Manipulator by 
Oh, the infected it's mushroom the, one? Yeah, infected mushrooms, guys. Yeah. Uh, whatever the company is called. Poly I I think. The, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's like layers of those. And um, I like those all for like just vocal mangling, mm, which nobody would like to hear my my own actual, actual dry <laughs> voice anyways. Yeah. But so then what else is there? Uh, oh, 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 big one. Shaper Box by Cable Guys. I yes. swear by that plugin. Uh, it is, and it's like now it's it has like nine modules of the, you know, the uh, in addition to a volume shaper. There's the filter shaper. There's, uh, you know, width pan. There's the the crush yeah. noise. All kinds of stuff. It's amazing. And now one of my favorite features they just came up with that is just the 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 oscilloscope. Yeah. Like I've used on, on my master channel, I've used uh, volume shaper, I don't know, multiple years as just a waveform display. Like it does nothing. It's basically yeah. wet dry is zero. And I've just used the oscilloscope. And I've, I've been asking them for years, like, how about you make a separate plugin? But well, they didn't make a separate plugin, but now you can just use the oscilloscope module and it saves all the settings exactly how, how you want it. You can zoom in, zoom out. You can do a uh, left channel, right channel, all kinds of stuff. And that's just, I like seeing my waveform when I, yeah. when I need it. It's uh, visual mixing sometimes is that you, you shouldn't just trust that. But there's a certain way a waveform, in my opinion, should look like. Yeah. And also, like when you're doing kick and bass balance, for instance, it's it's really good to know that when your kick envelope goes down, you're not mixing in bass if you're sidechain ducking a bass too early, but mm. the kick should be down enough on, when the bass comes in so that there's yeah. uh, mixing-wise, there's space enough for both of them, but also that you, um, you can get away with, um, or you won't get face issues like that when the sort yes. of big glow and stuff is time-wise separated as well. Yeah, that's really good to see. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now with their latest version, they also got the audio triggering. So you can have a non 4 4 kick pattern and it triggers the envelope. Yes. With the side chick signal, which now is pretty amazing as well. So you can uh, make your bass or pads or whatever pump according to non 4 4 kick. Yeah. Which is now really nice so is that what you you actually is that yes, what encouraged you to uh do the the remix of 12 as a dnb remix <laughs> no not really but but i mean uh, actually shaper box is a big part of that as well nice but well so if you if you watch that video it was quite the interesting project because it was a 6a track and oh, yeah. it was 128 like that and so i cut every bar lost two beats so now i have four four but now it's 192 ppm <laughs> and so i just basically wow. with time stretching slowed it down to 170 and then that's that's a drum and bass bpm and that's basically why i did make drum and bass because it just turned out like that that's awesome yeah, i'm a drum and bass producer myself so i had to had to yeah. bring that up uh that was a yeah. nice nice remix Look, look, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert in drum and bass. Like I made drum and bass earlier, like, you know, literally in the beginning, 
I made happy hardcore nice. drum and bass. Those were all kind of related, like 180, yeah. 170 BPM stuff, broken beats or straight hardcore kicks and whatever. Yeah. But uh, it took me it took me a good while to get close enough to sort of some references that I had that I dared yeah. to publicly play this new one well, <laughs> two year two years ago now because I mean there are such good drum and bass producers around that it, it definitely that was a little bit of a threshold for me to to uh dare to put it put it out or play to other people but but uh, when i did dave dressed and loved it he he was so so happy about it and then um like literally honestly to my surprise anjuna beats wanted to release it and i was of course fine with it and it was nice. also funny because i got questions like what the you know, the rude releasing 170 <laughs> BPM drum and bass. Well, what, what's this? But but oh, uh, it's funny. That's good, yeah. man. Want to kind of switch gears for a bit and talk about as we start to wrap up. Want to wrap talk about first of all your uh, recent Australia New Zealand tour, which obviously is my yes. neck of the woods. I'm here in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and I think you played in Northcote. Was it in Melbourne uh, when you were here? I think I played in. Um, well, not, not in Melbourne, but Geelong or Geelong. Oh yeah, Geelong. Yep. And then I played. Then I played the Welcome to Thornbury. Oh yep, yeah, that's the same area. Yeah, that was yeah. that was New Year's uh, New Year's Day. Nice. And yeah. Geelong was twenty whatever that was twenty sixth maybe. Nice. Of yeah. December. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Now, how did you find the tour though? My tour was amazing as always. We had, I'm not going to say which, but one gig was a little, uh, it wasn't packed. It wasn't, there was, there were people there, but it wasn't packed, but other gigs. So eight out of 10 had really good packed crowds and I had uh, great vibes. Even the one that was a little shot thinner was great vibe wise. And, uh, unfortunately I had to cancel one gig because I got sick, uh, yeah. right when we when we got to australia i played my gig in darwin that was the first one but then the second one in adelaide i had to skip because i had a little bit of fever and was not feeling so great yeah. but luckily that was short and then i got to do the rest of them and um i don't know if you believe me but but if you look at my last few years of touring i've been in australia once or twice a year minus covid yeah and I've been doing actually quite extensive tours too. Like now it was 10 dates, but 2017, I think I did a 21 days. And I think it, I had 17 gigs all over Australia in that, wow. that stretch, for instance. I love coming to Australia because people are willing and able to party. Uh, sure. Somehow I find... Aussie is very open-minded in the sense that you could have a festival stage with like drum and bass, house, pop, trance, yes. like kind of like whatever order. And it's not 100% crowd change, but there's just maybe 50% or 75% stay and everybody's just having a good time. And I've, I've always loved that about Australia. Yeah. And so, and people are just generally friendly. I, yeah. I haven't had had any sort of issues and on the contrary just made a lot of friends and and found colleagues to work with and so on so it's been great glad we uh were hospitable towards you (laughs) yeah 
And um, you're in Melbourne, so uh, I last time I was there, not this time, but I'm, I'm a skateboarder, and I went to St. Kilda Skate yes. Park, which was fucking amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. And then um, what's that? Uh, ramp something. There's a there's an indoor skate park. Oh, oh yeah. I've, is it, I've oh, is it Ramp Attack or something? I can't remember. I think I know yeah, the one. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Ramp Attack or Ramp Fest or something yeah. like that. Uh, it's it's actually, there were a lot of uh, BMX riders there, but they have a really nice pool for skating as well. So uh, nice. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's definitely a big scene for that here. Oh, good, man. No, glad you enjoyed. And obviously, um, in other recent happenings, you've got, as of this podcast coming out, you will have had your new track dropped on the 20th, which is Outlaws. Yes. What can you tell and us about I have that to one? Correct. Yeah. Sorry, I have to correct you. I don't think it's going to come out on the 20th. Um, yes. We've had a little bit of delay, but it is coming out <clears throat> One of these weeks right now, we, we have, we're still waiting for <clears throat> final music video and there's a couple of other technical things, but, but sure. it is coming out. Yeah. I've actually had an airplay <clears throat> in Finland on my, in, in our national radio already. And, and um, so it's, it's there. And anybody who was at my gigs in Australia and New Zealand, they heard it. I've, I've already awesome. been playing it. Yeah, it's called Outlaws and it's with my buddy, House Buddy and Oscar. And um, they're both Finns, and awesome. um, it, I, I started to track with House Buddy, and his name is Jaakko, but he's Jaakko Mannin, and not not JS16. Another oh, Jaakko. Yeah. He li- he lives in LA, and I hung out with him in 2019 June, and we just were wondering like, what would we want to listen to right now if we went out to party to like a rave, and um, we're both family man we work a lot and i mean i play out a lot but i don't go out and party that much so sure. we we're kind of looking at it from from that angle and so we came up with these uh i had some loops on my uh, my computer i had like a big synth pad you know like kind of anthemic thing there he was thinking like retro sound so we actually had this the xs24 mm-hmm. uh, instrument with 909 uh, samples we put that through like distortion and compression and compressed it to shit, kind of like old school way of doing 909s, but everything yeah. through the same bus, which yeah. was a nightmare to mix <laughs> later on. Uh, but then we found like these Detroit, Chicago techno house stabs. Yes. And uh, just, it was kind of messing about up until one point. Like, wow, actually, we have a track here. And, uh, he, he's running Logic as well. So he was working the machine. Uh, I was airdropping him samples that I like, blah, blah, blah. He just put them in and then we programmed sort of the 909s together. And then I took it home. It was an instrumental for almost two years until in 2021 uh, summer, I met this guy, Oscar, who is a Finnish singer. He's kind of known a producer and a singer songwriter and sort of starting up his career. Uh, and um, I saw him on this TV program. Oh, actually, he took part in the Eurovision Song Contest to finish. Ah, uh, yes. Like semifinals. He didn't He didn't get to go to the actual Eurovision, but, but I heard him sing live there, and I was, like, blown away. I sent him our idea. I told him the premise of, like, old gang together again, going out to party, 
you know, rave this and that. And he came out with the vocal and I literally cried in my studio hearing it. He, he nailed it. Wow. He got the vibe. He, and then sort of for the breakdown, uh, I don't want to say too much of references, but I can tell this though. We were thinking sort of like marry the rave and dirty house beats and whatnot with like Avicii-esque yeah. breakdown. So that's like very melodic and then a, and a vocal on top of that. And I think um, we, meant, we, we, we succeeded. We nailed that. And awesome. I want the track to make bazillions for us. <laughs> but but I I can I can honestly say that up till bo- point it's been one good vibes session and outcome after another, and now we have a really funny music video as well, which actually Jako made. He's a he's a video producer as well. Nice. And uh, so it's been a success for me already, uh, without being even sort of released because it's 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 kind of kind of tucked my heartstrings so many times already so yeah. that's cool um awesome. and um yeah we just um just waiting for the last final bits and then we're gonna get it out and then right. it's gonna be out on my new label called vibing out yes i was gonna ask you about that yeah what can you tell us about vibing out so i've been streaming since 2015 i've done these producer things on twitch uh i've i've actually given hints and tips and whatever and q a stuff but i've also produced a lot of music uh and then when but that was kind of random whenever i had a chance sometimes there were a couple of months gaps and whatnot now unfortunately covid started in 2020 but now looking back there are silver linings like this i started djing every Friday at uh, 6 p.m. my time, and I called those sessions vibing out. Yeah. Uh, I also did production streams, and I did like a Q&A or talk chat stream where I would not interview, but chat with my colleagues, uh, producer peers and whatnot. Uh, for like half a year, I did those three streams, Monday, Wednesday, and then Friday, the DJ stream. But then I didn't just have time to do all of that, so I've kept yeah. on the vibing out Friday stream, and the community that that's built, the the heartache and and uh, uh, you know brain fuck that's saved <laughs> me from, yeah. and helped me with has been just enormous. Like that community we have, we've we've normally have four hundred to five hundred people. We've had thousand people. We've had actually like ten thousand people when it just accidentally ends up on like twitch front page or whatever Mm. uh but there's such a community and and i've just it's become stronger and stronger that i i want to use the name and sort of the platform and the the branding and develop that to to the label and i don't know if it means anything to those people i well for some i know it does but honestly that vibing out stream me being able to express myself as a DJ and an artist while everything was closed. And apparently it's helped other people as well because they've been able to listen to me and forget their worries for a second and whatnot. But that's basically spawned the idea to call my label vibing out and, and, you know, see where I can develop that initially first 
few releases are going to be mine, but we're going to also be releasing other people's music. Awesome. I get demos all the time and, and people approach me about that kind of stuff. So yeah. we'll, we'll start doing that as well. Oh, amazing. Well, no, looking forward to seeing what you do with all of the label and with the new releases. Very exciting times, I can imagine, for you. Yeah. As we wrap up, I actually have one question here from actually his name's Simon. He's actually a writer on our blog, but I asked our Discord students if they had any questions for you before we recorded the interview. And he asked, is there one question that you're sick of being asked <laughs> by people? <laughs> not really like it, it's like i referred in the beginning already like i i do get a lot of sandstorm questions mm. both technically about the production and none of that is it's always kind of relevant because that mm. is my biggest you know track that i put out and and that time uh, in a sense i was at my most relevant as an artist and touring artist and what what i had then like a hit mm. record so those are all sort of free game but then um there's for instance every winter that's not a question but every winter if there's some kind of post by us where we reference to sandstorm or we comment on sandstorm somebody used sandstorm somewhere <laughs> there's always the wise guy who is saying hey why did you make a so snowstorm like they're like they have a brilliant idea make a snowstorm and i'm just like dude like i haven't heard that for the last 23 <laughs> years uh, or like i haven't thought of that myself and i yeah. I, I find these kind of things are funny because they just like there are certain things about or certain comments that are just people think that they're so clever <laughs> yeah. and they're like the millionth person saying that and they, yeah. they think that they are being funny and clever the first time that's amazing i love that <laughs> yeah one, one one thing that i don't i don't have an answer to is people some some people ask about money pretty directly like how much you've made and blah, blah, blah are you a billionaire mm. blah blah and uh i could say that my my standard answer there is like um i don't talk about my money stuff with strangers obviously but mm. you know i live in a nice house i have a studio but i'm still paying my mortgage like everybody else you know like normal people mm. so it's not like i'm swimming in money here yeah and i um uh, i i couldn't retire just you know based on um, say sandstorms royalties or whatnot yes but at the same time I'm um, I'm in my sort of um, dream setup here in my studio, and uh, I would probably be making music with a lesser setup, and uh, without getting money out of it, because that's that's mm. not what I started this for. So sure. So, in general, people's sort of um, directness and bluntness and and uh, nosiness is sometimes irritating because yeah, if if you'd if you talk to somebody face to face somewhere with your own names and identities, you wouldn't like blurt out a question, very detailed something or people sometimes in my streams, uh, my ha hair is messed up or whatever. That's why I'm wearing a hat today, by the way. <laughs> the, people can be very direct and rude about that kind of stuff. And that's not what mm. I like about the online culture of today. People are just so very quick and direct and mm. often behind an alias or avatar or whatever so yeah. that that makes them think that they can do it mm. 
Yeah, it's definitely a negative aspect of that. But uh, no, I appreciate you. (laughs) Yeah, Simon, sorry. I don't think that was a good answer or direct (laughs) answer to your question, but, but something. No, that's good, man. I will um, actually have one question that I normally ask every guest that comes on. So I will finish on this one, which is, it's a bit of a trick question because there's no real answer to it because you can't do anything about it. But if you had to go back in your career and do something differently, what would it be? Okay, that is a good, that's actually a really good question. And I have a partial answer. And, um, I've always joked that, like, if if you think of certain aspects of my career and the music industry, I was like 10 years early, me and several other people, or of course, but you'll get what I'm saying in a second. If you think of music industry, if you think of dance music industry, it was tiny at 2000 or around 2000. And it was huge in 2010 yes. or so, eight, nine, ten, that era. So, and this is completely irrelevant, completely unfounded in a way. But if there was a possibility to have the same kind of success that I had, sort of like hype wise and whatever wise, with Sandstorm 99, 2000, and transfer that into 2010 and the financials of that era as well yeah i think i'd be a bit more well off (laughs) if i had the same success in you know if you know what i mean that's completely irrelevant that's uh, just stupid way of thinking it but if there was something i could change that was it because um but that's purely sort of hypothetical and purely actually greedy i guess but but so that's one. No, it's good. But, it's a good point. Yeah. But a, a real one is something like uh, because of the business was different back then. I also I had a really great record company in the beginning, or or throughout even. But thinking of this topic, and I had a great booking agent, and I didn't feel the need of for a manager, mm. and. It might be that my career would have been different, better, possibly, but maybe more, not lucrative, but maybe I would have done different things and gone to different uh, opportunities if, if I'd had a, a shark manager early on, which I didn't have. And the, 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 why I didn't was because I had such good partners in the record company and the booking agency and that I was getting incoming requests for gigs and all kinds of stuff all the time. So there kind of wasn't a need for somebody actively go look for them. And I just didn't realize that myself, but, but managing up earlier, maybe would have been, uh, I don't know, maybe would have changed something. Sure. It's, it's even just a good idea just for the workload of things you've got to do as a producer these days. It's just helpful to have an extra person with a different mind doing those things. So that's a very, very good answer to that question. Yeah. Hey, I got a thing for you. If, um, if you want to, let me see if I can make this work. I didn't try it out early, but if, if I can output device, DJM Nexus and because I could show you Ooh. this. Oh, we're getting a uh, we're getting a sneak preview. Here we go. 
and I just need to see if I can find the channels. Um, I'm sorry if this doesn't work. That's okay. No um, let's try this from what? Okay, so Logic's still thinking of there's a lot of plugins on this one, so no, that's all good. Let's see. Mm. This Come one on. looks pretty well okay. organized. <laughs> yeah, this is my stem. Nice. Hold on. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think you should hear something now, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I don't actually hear it myself, but I know what it is. Yeah. When the sun goes down, we hope it stays down forever. And if they will find us, mm -hmm. we just keep on So this is outlaws. Like, yeah. Dancing like we don't give up. We might get lost, but we get lost together. When the sun goes yeah. down, we hope it stays down forever. And if they will find us, just keep on dancing like... Just keep on dancing like... So that kind of thing. That's that lead vocal thing is sick. I love that. Yeah, I think um, I think it's very festive. It's very catchy. Uh, it's sort of it's really emotional for me. But I don't know if people feel the emotion the same way I do because I literally am thinking about like old gang all together again. Let's go out. Let's have some like it doesn't have to be a boys' night out, but kind of thinking. Yeah, you know, my old buddies. We're all laughing. Everybody's cracking jokes, shitting on each other, all kinds of stuff. You remember that time you did that stupid thing? Blah blah blah. Yeah, and then you know a track drops and we're all going nuts. And it's just I don't know. Everything fell into place with this one. I'm so 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 happy about this track. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so man. I don't know. Yeah, so very quickly, if you're interested, there's my greens are always effects. That's the um, so this is the extended right now, and so the radio edit here is just done cutting out of bits and pieces. Nice. Uh, yellow is vocal, so lead vocal. Then there's this kind of vocoder bit that just goes like low rumble, rot, rot, whatever under yes. there, and as you see here. These vocal bits are just added doubles after the fact. I didn't. Yeah. I felt like I, I needed extra delays there between words. Yes. Feeling vocoder, yeah. Vocoder two and one are the same vocoder, but there's a little key difference on one couple of spots. So I I had it on different channels. These are all the drums all together, and which would made it difficult, which made it difficult for mixing because a kick is in the here as well. Yes. And, and and normally I have a kick separate, but because it was all going through the same distortion bus, and the kick is the one that is um, dictating how the rest of the stuff pumps. Mm, yeah. So it was hard to make it uh, pump the same way with the kick out of that 
like it's just hard to explain even yeah it's like you have to use like multi-band or something like that to kind of just target yeah. the up, the, up a bit yeah yeah and here these couple bits are also extra that i don't i mean i have them in the uh, the main project arrangement but these are um these are cowbells just little accent cowbells there gotta have them yeah, snare rolls are separate, and there's an extra snare roll in the end as well of this edit. Brown is nice. always bass for me. And then I realized in final moments that I need like actual sub bass. These ones are actually not bass, but they are like the toms that, like the yep. housey toms that doom, 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 doom. And uh, if you yeah. look at these, these are heavily side chained. There's this yep. bit here. Uh, kick comes in here, yeah, and here. So the, but so those work, and then nice. there's just a sub that fills in between here. Oh, and the so kick. Like, there's always a bass thing happening somewhere, sort of thing. Yep, yep. And I I just learned that I, when I played it at a club that it's kicking really hard, it's punching, but then there's kind of like energy drop a little, and just a tiny tiny sub in there nice. between bases and like it's also side chain so that you know kick starts here there's a yep. little bit of room for the kick before the sub starts and so it it's it's um wow. this here is that uh the lead sound that comes in there are a couple of stabs in uh ends of the rounds yep and then there's breakdown with the guitar and that's basically that beautiful it's nice to see the, the work it, it, action yeah i know it's uh, it's a little uh, sort of hard to grasp because you haven't heard the full track but or you know the the little clip that i played doesn't cover it all but but um maybe maybe people can go and check it out yes and then come back to the video and and see see this definitely and uh whenever it's out we'll have a pre-save link of some sort in the show notes so whoever's watching this back yeah absolutely and i yeah and then if somebody producer minded is interesting so in my master project so i normally have my stuff mastered by a, a pro mastering engineer but i'm i do this stem mixing and mastering myself because i do gig play all the time yes so i'm i master for the gig play and then uh i also I'm a pretty decent mastering engineer these days, but I still want mm. an extra set of ears to to actually a pro dude or girl to to make the master. Sure. But so when I do the mastering, I do like here you can see from five version five to six, I added two minutes to va Waves Vitamin that actually is not on this. I have now trying out this ozone chain, but mm. I, I use Waves Vitamin for um exciting and yes. and widening stuff and and narrowing stuff awesome and so i just make these notes for myself that so i know what i did last time yeah kind of like what i did ozone eq 7k shelf plus one so i made it brighter it's good whatever good and so so it's very practical so that when i come back to this in a year when i need a new version of something mm. i know the steps and i can trace them back as well that's good that's a really healthy yeah. handy habit to get into for sure yeah and i like i said i um 
I name everything, I color code everything, and I'm very sort of meticulous and anal about that. But also when I send stuff to somebody else, they usually thank me for it. Like yes. I don't, I don't need the thanks, but I actually get <laughs> compliments or thanks because it's just like, holy crap, I don't need to use two hours to arrange your shit, you know, in yeah. a better order first. That's good. Yeah. Producers take note for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll show, I'll show one more thing and I know you didn't even ask for any of this, but I'm a nerd about this stuff. So I'll show you one more thing. Uh, where can I find it now? Hold on. Um, now I'm lost in my own project. There we are. So I don't know if you know this guy, uh, yes. Endless Smile by Data Life. Yeah. So towards the end here, well, I can play this part. This intensity, when it goes up, it thins it out. It adds some sort of a reverb to it. And it's used often in my buildups. Yeah. It works. Yeah, you can see the guy's face changing. Nice. Uh, and it's hard, you know, you would have to hear the dry and dry and wet like this, but there's a, it just thins out. It adds a little bit of that, that sort of hype towards, but it also, because it thins it out and adds tension, it doesn't lack in volume, mm. but it thins out the low end. And then when the drop hits, it hits full on. I yeah. also often have, I think actually, Let's see this. I think there is a gain. Yeah, there's gain as well. So I have 1.6 dB difference. Yes. To just give that drop that extra punch. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's two dBs, one sometimes it's one dB, sometimes it's nothing, but it depends on the track how I just kind of feel the yeah. one come in on a drop. Yeah. Beautiful. I love those little yeah. those little details all add up to make it just cool. impactful. Appreciate you jumping in and opening this up for us. This we've got extra blessings today by looking at Darude's projects. So appreciate <laughs> appreciate you doing that, man. On that note, we'll uh, wrap this up. But Vila, thank you so much for uh, taking time out today and jumping on. And uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day, man. Of course, man, and uh, thank you. Um... I always like to talk tech, talk nerd, uh, talk studio and other shop stuff. So uh, this has been a pleasure for me. And uh, it's not that I don't like other interviews, but especially this kind of thing is easy <laughs> for me because it's just what I would talk about anyway. So Beautiful. thanks, man. And uh, real quick, where can people find you online? Okay, so um, YouTube and Insta are... And Facebook are just Darude. And then Twitter is Darudeville, Darude, V-I-L. And then uh, if you want to see me live, come to my gig some, somewhere sometime. Australia is going to have to wait at least probably half a year. I don't know if I'm going to come back in 23 because I just was there, but hopefully. But then every Friday at 6 p.m. my time, which is various times in Australia, but midnight, one on the saturday side so quite late for you guys but but still you and your time zones you you have to figure out but i think sydney is maybe one o'clock i think uh, a lot about a lot of our listeners are in the u.s anyway so uh 
I think that works yeah. out pretty well for and and for yeah, West Coast US is eight eight a.m. and uh, East Coast eleven yeah. a.m. and that's actually one of the fun things about the stream where you can catch me live, where you can. I read the chat all the time. I have regulars who I talk to. I have newcomers who I say hi to all the time. So people in America are, you know, with their morning coffees and on or on their way to work or this and that. And and Finland here, people might be making dinner with their, you know, with their kids and everything in between. It's kind of cool how a dance music stream taken out of the club context still reaches people and still people kind of like it and that's one of the reasons that i've changed a little bit of my thinking of making music and playing music because not everything has to have a huge impact like in a mic normal club set yeah but just like the streaming people are just listening to it as well so that's been a really cool sort of revelation for me but uh, there you can see me catch me live Awesome. Thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it.